morning. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Daniel 7. It's page 884 in the Black Pew Bible. first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth, it devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came on like a son of man, and he came out to the agent of days, and was pre presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who had stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the inter interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, and trample it down, and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them, 
He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and a half time. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Here's the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. We took a little break because of Passion Week and Easter, and so we're jumping back into Daniel chapter 7 where we left off. Remember, Daniel had been taken to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar in the first deportation. There were three of them. He went back in the, he was taken in the first one about 606 B.C., and it appears that the gods of the Babylonians had overcome and defeated the God of the Hebrews. In fact, the, the vessels in the temple, they even took those back to Babylon to, to use in their own worship. And you can imagine Daniel, he's taken back, he's living there, serving in the king's court of Babylon, um, serving Nebuchadnezzar, and thinking about that 70 years that the prophet Jeremiah said uh, this would last until the 70 years was up. So he's thinking about all the time and 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 where we are in that and thinking about that coming to an end. And he's concerned about the nation of Israel. Are they going to be able to, to leave here? What's going to happen at the end of the 70 years? We'll be able to go back to, to Israel. And so he's anticipating what's going to happen, thinking about the future. And here in chapter 7, God is going to give Daniel not just a, a glimpse of what God is going to do concerning the people of Israel, but God is going to give him a glimpse of the rest of history and how God is going to establish his kingdom on the earth. What we've seen over the last six chapters in Daniel is that Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, the God of the Israelites, is not only allowing the Babylonian captivity, but he's orchestrating these events as only a sovereign God of the universe could do. So chapter 7 teaches us that this course of humanity is determined in the throne room of God. God's not just the God of the Hebrews, but He's the God of history. His kingdom, unlike that of Nebuchadnezzar and all the other pagan rulers of the world, will last forever and ever and ever. We also need to, to remind you that this chapter is out of chronological order, and we've said this already it should come after chapter 4 if the book was arranged chronologically, but we know it's not arranged chronologically. Chapters 1 through 6 are history, narrative, right? Chapter 7 through 12 is apocalyptic, prophetic. So if you're going to put it together chronologically, you would have chapters 1 through 4, then chapter 7, chapter 8, 5, 9, and then 6 if you're taking notes, okay? We've already mentioned that, but just want to remind you of that. The first vision we'll see will be familiar to us. It's a repeat of the dream Nebuchadnezzar had in chapter 2, although this chapter gives us a little more detail. And it's, it, this chapter, chapter 7, is one of the most comprehensive and detailed prophecy of future events to be found in the Old Testament. What Daniel's going to do, he's going to trace the course of these four world powers right up to the climax of world history, the second coming of Christ, the culmination of all things, and the new heavens and the new earth. And it's been said that this chapter is the most important one in the book of Daniel because it joins these two sections 
of the book together. But others would say it's the most important prophetic part of the Old Testament because it impacts the rest of the, uh, the apocalyptic literature that we'll see in, in Zechariah and in the New Testament in the book of Revelation. What he's going to do, Daniel is, is here, he's going to transition from the third person, talking about history, this is what happened, and he's, he's transitioned here in, in chapter 7 to the first person because he's the one receiving these visions that we're going to see in chapter 7 through 12. But the first six chapters really set us up for this last section because if God can rescue Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace, and God can rescue Daniel from the mouths of lions, he also has the ability, the power to predict the future. Now we're introducing apocalyptic literature, and, and I'm going to steal Jamie's thunder just a little bit. He's going to be teaching this to the adults on Wednesday night, but it just so happened providentially we're doing these kind of together. According to Michael Wilcock, apocalyptic literature is a sort of prophecy that seeks to enlighten and encourage a people despised and cast off by the world with a vision of God who will come to impose his kingdom on the wreckage and rebellion of human history. And it communicates this message through the use of wild, scary, imaginative, bizarre, and head-scratching imagery. So it's a, it's a literature, a genre of images, okay? So when we read apocalyptic literature, some things to remember. Number one is to remember uh, we have to find out the main point. What's the main point of the text? Don't get caught up in so many of the details that we lose the forest for the trees, right? What's the main point of the text? That's really important to determine. Secondly, we read this literature with humility. Now, there's some folks that's got this thing down pat. They got it all, it's screwed down real, real tight, and it's right, neat package. They know what exactly everything means and when it's going to come to pass. Boom, 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 boom. But most people would confess and think if we're honest, we say, yeah, I'm not really sure what that means. So we need to have some humility when we study. Thirdly, we need to try to discover the message to the original, read the original readers. It should be readers, the leaders. The original audience, how would they understand this? That's how we need to understand it as well. Fourthly, don't try and discover a, a strict chronological roadmap of these future events. We're trying to put all this together. This is going to happen this way, in this order, in this fashion. We don't have to do that all the time. We need to be careful about that. Next, don't take the figurative language literally. We should take it seriously, but not literally. This is figurative language. Okay? And lastly, pay attention when the author identifies an image, and he'll do that um, in our text today. Okay? And these apocalyptic texts, they've been debated much in the church age. And so what I'm going to do is be more constructive than destructive, meaning that I'm going to tell you what I think this means and why, not so much refuting what other people, um, how other people understand this text. It's been said that this book and the apocalyptic section in particular is an interpretive minefield, meaning whenever you, wherever you land on uh, a certain matter, this is how I see this. Other people will disagree, and many of you will disagree, and you'll be sure to be disappointed. Um, another disappointment you may have is we're going to look at it like 10,000 feet view. Okay. Now, the people that I lean on, people that I've sat under for years and years and years, they, 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 were, they came at it at a 30,000-foot view. So I got a little bit more courage than some of those rascals, right? But we're not going to look at every little minute detail because I do want us to understand what is the main point of the text. We're not going to focus down so... Um, Closely, we're going to look back a little higher view, but I think we'll be able to understand 
the, the main point of the text, and it, some of it will kind of whet your appetite for your small group, um, for your small group as well. Remember the context of the book. The Israelites are in exile. They're in Babylon at this point in chapter 7, and they're needing some good news about the future. And they're about to get it here in Daniel chapter 7. The first thing we see in verses 1 through 8 is this vision of the four beasts. This vision was given to Daniel during the Babylonian period of exile. Belshazzar is ruling and reigning, right? It says in the first year of his reign. And after the vision, what he did is wrote down from verses 2 onward, he wrote down what he saw in the vision. So we're going to look at the vision, then we're going to skip the middle section, and we're going to look at the interpretation, then we'll come back to the middle section, okay? Look at verse 2. The four winds of heaven stirred up the great sea, right, out of which comes these four beasts. And that, it's kind of interesting, this great sea. Um, verse 17 in the interpretation tells us the four beasts were coming out of the earth. Verse 17 interprets the sea to represent the earth. So the beasts rise out of the sea. In fact, later, these great beasts are said to be great kingdoms on earth. And so some debate, there's some debate as to whether or who these pagan kingdoms are, but I think we don't need to miss the point. These kingdoms are attempting to set up this, their own lasting kingdoms characterized by brutality, violence, right? That's what we see here. Look at verse 4. The first beast in his vision was a lion with eagle's wings. And it's, it had eagle's wings, and then its wings were gone, right? It stood on its legs like a man, and it had the mind of a man. And it points us to Babylon. It represents the kingdom of Babylon. If you remember from chapter 2, what part was Babylon? Do you remember? In chapter 2, remember the statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw? The head was represented Babylon. So this is equivalent to the head in uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And Nebuchadnezzar was symbolized by a lion, um, by an eagle elsewhere in biblical writers. If you're writing, taking notes, we won't look at the text here just for lack of time. But he's characterized as a lion in Jeremiah 4, 7, and also Jeremiah 49, 19. Then he's, he's described as an eagle in Jeremiah 49, 22, and Ezekiel 17, 3. And as, as the Babylonian um, artifacts are found, what, what's been found in those are... Um, Statues of winged lions. Okay? So this is the lions with eagle wings. That represents Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Okay, verse 5, the next beast, we see a bear. In fact, the bear was stronger than the lion, right? Because it overcame um, that kingdom. This bear represents the media, media Persia, the Medes and the Persians. Okay? If you remember in chapter 2, the, the dream of the statue it was the chest and the arms, right, of silver in chapter 2. So you got the lion representing Babylon, the gold head from chapter 2. You have the bear symbolizing media, Persia, the chest and arms of silver in chapter 2. Okay? And it's interesting, this bear in verse 5 has three ribs in its mouth. These three ribs may symbolize the three chief cities of the Babylonian Empire, which was overcome by the media Persian army, Babylon, Ekbatana, and Borsippa. 
But that's just a, a guess. We don't really know. But verse 5, Daniel hears voices encouraging the bear to do what? Devour much meat. We know that the Persian Empire lasted for 200 years. Then we, we see Alexander the Great come on the scene. And then we see the third beast. Verse 6, there's a leopard with four wings and four heads. This represents the, the Greek kingdom. After Alexander the Great died, he died when he was 33 uh, years young. His kingdom was divided into four parts led by different generals, hence the, the four heads. And if you remember to, back to chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar's statue, this is the, the, the middle, right? The torso, the thighs of bronze from chapter 2. So that's the third beast. The fourth beast in verses 7 and 8 described as a terrifying beast with iron teeth and ten horns and one creepy little horn with eyes, and it could talk. Yikes, right? This beast represents the Roman Empire. And there's some debate about that. Typically, conservative commentators uh, agree on that. But notice what it does not consume, verse 7 and 8. What it doesn't consume with its teeth, it crushes underfoot like a, a bull in a china shop. Thinking back to chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, there's... Remember the legs of iron and the feet, they're made of iron and clay. Yeah, that's the Roman Empire. And it's interesting, this fourth beast, why is an animal-type figure not given to this fourth kingdom like it was in the first three? Lion, the bear, the leopard. Here, you just have a terrifying beast. Why is that? Well, maybe because this beast didn't look like any animal Daniel had ever seen. It's kind of in a class of its own, maybe. We look at verses 1 through 8 as a whole, and I think it's meant to teach Daniel, it's meant to teach the Israelites and, and ourselves that kingdoms are, are out for conquest, aren't they? One kingdom overcoming another, one kingdom falling to the next. They're out for conflict and to conquest and, con and to control others, right? Empires are bent to dominate and devour, no matter how many people they mangle or how many people they crush or how much misery they inflict. See the video? See some of that in the video. We see some of that taking place even today, right? In, in the Ukraine, people being displaced, their homes being destroyed, losing everything for what? Yeah, for what? For nothing, right? For no reason whatsoever, right? Dale Davis, he says, it is in verses 1 through 8, it is as if the writer invites us to incorporate the doctrine of total depravity into our politics, the kingdoms of this age seem to seize on arise, devour much flesh as their mantra. Let's skip over. Look at verses 15 through 28. This is, so Daniel has a vision, and then he, he interprets the vision in verses 15 through 28. And, and he's already said in verse 7 that this beast is different. It's unlike the others. And we see that again and again. Verse 19, verse 23, this beast, there's a distinctiveness, right? about this beast. And in verse 19, Daniel, like us, right, we're intrigued. Well, tell me more about this beast. So he asked one of the angels there in the vision. And, and look at verse 17 and 18. Here's a synopsis, right? These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. So we, right, right here we get a synopsis of this vision. God wins, and God's people win. 
Okay? That's, that's the, the main point. Then Daniel asked about this fourth beast. It's different. He's giving, giving a lot more verses, isn't he? A lot more description here. Verse 20, there's ten horns on this beast. And they're like the heads of the third leopard, I think. The third beast, the leopard, they, they had the, the four heads, right? Representing the, the generals of Alexander the Great. We see this in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. It's another apocalyptic text. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these? And he said to me, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. These are the kings, right, the kingdoms. Revelation 17, 12 speaks of horns as well. And we'll, we'll mention Revelation a lot, especially today. Um, if you'd like, small group leaders, especially Revelation 13 and Revelation 19, that would be helpful to look at. Revelation 17, 12, and the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. So we see these horns representing kings. And so these horns are ten kings. Look at verse 24 down here of the interpretation. As for the ten horns out of his, this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. So you have these ten kings... Who are the ten kings, right? you got ten kings, and out of this ten kings, these will emerge one other. So there'll be 11, 11 horns. One being a little horn will overthrow three others. This little horn's going to make war against God's people. You'll see this persecution is going to happen until until the judgment, right? Until the Ancient of Days prevails. Well, who are these kings, these ten kings of Rome? Some see these ten kings as ten Caesars. who There were kings who served leading up to the time of 70 A.D. when Titus, who they would consider the little horn, destroyed the temple in 70 A.D. And when the temple was destroyed, that was a really big deal. We'll talk about that a little later in chapter 9. But when the temple was destroyed, that was a really big deal for Judaism to the nation of Israel. But, but many people would say these are ten specific kings leading up to the fall of uh, Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Others, another view, would say these ten horns are symbolic and are ten, uh, or they're symbolic of ten actual kings that will appear at the end of history. So there's going to be a, an amount of time, there's going to be ten kings at the end of history, right before Jesus returns, and um, they're going to wreak havoc on the earth. Now, that that's be the dispensational view. Um, and, and I would say these numbers, you're going to see the number 7 and number 10 a lot. And I don't think we have to press those to be literal. I don't take those t uh, to be literal. But that's another view, that these were literal 10 kings that are going to, right before Jesus is going to come back, uh, going to wreak havoc on the church um, and on the nation of Israel. Another view... Another understanding of the ten horns is to identify the ten with the principles and, and principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's Paul describing in, in chapter 6. When you think about spiritual warfare, right? All the, the They're spiritually good, right, and they're spiritually evil. Well, they would see these ten 
horns. They would identify that with the, the spirit realm. But knowing that the spirit realm influences individual people, right? They use earthly instruments, kings who embody the, the fullness of Satan's attack on the church. Someone see these horns in that way. And lastly, another view that these ten horns represent the beast, the Roman Empire, and see these kings as manifestations of the beast who promote the, the anti-God, the anti-Christian agenda, right? The secular age, kind of promoting that. Um, and that'll happen until the, uh, the end of time, right? And that's kind of where I fall. Who are these ten horns? They're kings that are, represent this Roman ideology, the secular ideology that we're going to see until the end of time. Um, I think we don't need to be too dogmatic about all of these. You have different opinions about that. Uh, like I said, when we study, we have to be, uh, we study humbly. Um, but maybe some of this is a little enigmatic, but maybe that's, that was Daniel and John's uh, intended, um, uh, they intended it to be that way. What about the little horn? You have these ten horns who are kings of some of sorts, and then you have this little horn, right? Um, I see that as being the Antichrist. We know the spirit of Antichrist uh, will assume more than one, one form, right? We know there, there's going to be end-time Antichrist right before Jesus comes back, right? But Apostle John, that's what he calls, uh, um, he calls uh, the one who opposes God as the Antichrist. Let's look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Second John chapter 1, verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. So John, that's his, how he communicates this. And many of us use that same language. Oh, that's the Antichrist, right? He opposes God and his kingdom. First John 4, 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. So there's going to be in time Antichrist, a specific person, right? It's going to pose God and his church. But we here we we also see here taking place um, other people that follow in his footsteps or that um, oppose God in the same way. Paul used a different term. He didn't use antichrist. He used the, the lawless one or a man of lawlessness. Second Thessalonians chapter two verse six through ten. And you know that what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. So you see these ten horns. You see a little horn. And look what verse 25 tells us. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half time. Now this is a period of time. Um, what is this period of time? Uh, one, how you answer this will be telling how you understand Daniel chapter 9. We'll get to in a, in a few weeks. 
Some see this as a precise period of time, a time meaning one year times two years and a half time, a half a year, so three and a half years. So some people say, hey, when there's this great tribulation, you know, this set period of time at the end of the year, three and a half years of that, that's this, what this time is referring to. That's when the Antichrist is really going to wreak havoc uh, on the church. I understand this figure uh, of time to be simply an expression of the time of the church age where there's persecution and tyranny and hurt going on um, among the church. Michael Wilcock, again, he writes, the figure of time becomes a symbol like the Red Cross or a swastika. Uh, it's a shorthand way of indicating the period during which the nations, the unbelievers, seem to dominate the world, but the people of, of God, God's people, maintain their witness in it. Um, we'll talk more about that in Daniel chapter 9. But look at verses 26 and 27. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion, his dominion, meaning, meaning the, the little horn, right? The Antichrist, the one, the man of lawlessness. His dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve him and obey him. Here's the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. So after this vision and after this interpretation, he's overwhelmed a little bit, isn't he? Whoa, that's incredible. Wow. What has he seen? He's seen this vision of what's going to take place in the course of history. And what did we see there at the end? That God wins the kingdoms of this world, the, the horns, the kings of the Roman Empire, however you want to understand that, will be destroyed and the kingdom will of God will be established. God gives godless kings success for a moment and saints suffer, but only for an appointed time. We see God judging the Antichrist and his dominion is taken from him. He's destroyed forever and God's kingdom is established. Let's go back to, go back to verse... Nine. So we see the vision, and you'll have much, give you some food for thought there. You, you'll have a lot to talk about with your small group leaders and how all this kind of fits together. And you'll have a lot of those conversations. Just don't be real dogmatic. If you think you've got it all figured out, don't be rigid, because this is not something to be rigid about. Um, but but we, we do want to understand God's Word and uh, understand it um, clearly. But you'll have a lot of uh, good uh, conversation in your small groups. Look at verse 9. Go back to the middle of his vision. So he's, he has this vision. In the middle of his vision, he says, And I, I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Thrones were placed. Why were thrones put in place? Well, because a king's coming. And the king is going to be the Ancient of Days. Now, Charles Garner, he told me uh, how he became an electrical engineer. Um, he said he was pulling wire. He was an electrician. He was working for a company. He's at a factory, and he's pulling wire and doing all this hard work. And uh, all of a sudden, these people from this factory, they come in, and they're doing all this clearing out, and they're moving stuff, and they set up this table, and, and in walks this guy, and he has a computer, and he sits down, and he starts doing it, and they're kind of waiting on him hand and foot. Well, he's the electrical engineer. He's telling everybody else what to do. And Charles thought, hmm, I need to be doing that job. And so what did Charles do? He went to school, and guess what? Now he does that job. So he can actually pull the wire, but he can actually tell people what to do as well. And I know Charles, if you know Charles, he's a joy. To, work, to, to have him in that company, and that company's blessed to have him, I know, just like we're blessed to have him in our church. But what happened? All this stuff set up because somebody important's coming. 
And that's what happens here, verse 9. Thrones are set up because somebody important is coming. It's the, who is it? It's the Ancient of Days. What does it mean, Ancient of Days? Well, you think about that, and literally it means somebody that's one advanced in years. Somebody's very, very old, right? It's a regal description for sure we see here in verse 9 and 10. He's a king. Thrones are set up for him. I think there's some, maybe some text to help us understand Ancient of Days. We just sang the song, Ancient of Days, and we sing that, and we say, but what does that mean? Look at verse, uh, Psalm 102, verse 25 and 27. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. That's what it means to be the Ancient of Days. None of us can say that, right? But God is the ancient of days. This is God the Father, right? Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In other words, you've, you've existed long before there was anything here, before creation. You existed before time. Job 36, 26. Behold, God is great, and we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. So he's the ancient of days. And, and, and notice the descriptions. You can look in, and we see the equivalent. There's real similar in Revelation chapter 1 when, when John sees the vision of Christ. But here we see the, the God the Father saying, His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. He's, he's described in this awesome way, and what does he do? He passes judgment on the bees. Just like this. Some of you kids, uh, kids, I don't know why, um, all ch children and students, they look up to their parents and they want to please their parents in some way, form, or fashion, believe it or not. They really do. But all kids and all students, students, middle school and high school kids, there's a certain part of you that thinks, you're, thinks your parents are sh really stupid. Okay? And you'll do certain things, and then we'll ask about it or say something. You kind of look at them, you know, you catch your kids in something or you, you, you speak to your kids about something they've done or something, or something they're thinking. And they look at you like, how'd you know that? Right? And sometimes we as parents, what do we say? We, we would say, well, I'm, I wasn't born yesterday. Hey, I wasn't born yesterday. What you're doing, what you're thinking, I did this. I was 12. I was 15. I was 17 at one time. Right? I wasn't born yesterday. The Ancient of Days, guess what? He wasn't born yesterday. And what are we, trying, what are we saying when we say, I wasn't born yesterday? What are we really trying to say? What do we mean by that? Yeah, I've been around a little while. I know what you're thinking. I know what you did. I know what you're doing. I know what you're going to do. And God the Father, he's the Ancient of Days. I wasn't born yesterday. The Ancient of Days wasn't born at all. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? Yeah, he's the ancient of days. There's a courtroom scene here, right? With, with God the Father, the ancient of days, seated as the chief justice. And what does he do? 
Look at verse 11 and 12. I looked then because of the sound of the great words and the horn was speaking. And I, as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season of time. The beast, right? The Roman Empire, right? The beast that represents the Roman Empire and all that it, all that it represents. That beast was immediately taken away. Judged, destroyed, gone, right? These other beasts, right? They weren't, what it, that's what it means, I think, when it says, but their lives were prolonged for a season of time. Their, their lives weren't taken immediately, but we know that their kingdoms ended, right? But here, this, this beast, he's destroyed in judgment. And we see this in Revelation chapter 19. Again, John picking up on the same imagery. Revelation 19, 19 and 20. There's similarities here. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown where? They were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. So you see this judgment and you see here in Revelation chapter 19 you see judgment as well. John picking up on the same imagery you see in Daniel chapter 7. We're seeing the same thing take place. Daniel giving a vision in the Old Testament and John in the New Testament. The Ancient of Days. Isn't it awesome? Here you have this vision of this, uh, these Gentile nations, the pagan nations and and. and these kingdoms who are, they're out to destroy and they're out to capture and they're out to dominate and out to conquer one right after the other, after the other, after the other. And, and right in the middle of it, you have the Ancient of Days. And what happens? He says, all of these kingdoms are going to come to an end. And this one, the, the, the prominent one, right? The beast there at the end representing this Roman Empire and all that it entails and all that it embraces, all that it promotes. There's judgment. And that's good news, isn't it? It's good news for us, good news for the church. It was good news for Daniel and for Israel. Look at verse 13. Right after the vision of the ancient days, you have the vision of the Son of Man, one like the Son of Man. What does that mean? Well, it's a, a person in human form, but he's more than a man. He's not just mere man, right? Al-Shabek, he says this about this title, the Son of Man. He said, it's Christ, and he is all that humans made in the image of God, were meant to be. All that Adam was supposed to be, Christ is. Christ is the second Adam. We see that description of him in, in the New Testament. Think about Adam. He was given dominion over the earth to rule over it, but he sinned. He fell short of God's glory. But the Son of Man has not fallen short of God's glory, right? And the Son of Man, the Messiah, they're seen as the same person. We see this in John chapter 12, verse 32 to 34. And when I and lifted, this is Jesus speaking, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. He's going to die on a cross, right? So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. Christ means Messiah, right? How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? See, they're using that term, the Messiah and the Son of Man, speaking the same thing. So who's the Son of Man? It's Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah. Jesus used titles 
But he didn't use titles about himself very often. In fact, he uses one almost exclusively, and that is the Son of Man. Why? Because he gets this from Daniel. Sixty-nine times in the Synoptic Gospel, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see this title, Son of Man, for Jesus. Twelve times in the, in the Gospel of John, we see this title used for Jesus. Jesus spoke of himself often, almost always saying, Son of Man. But none of those texts are as important as Mark chapter 14, verse 61 through 62, where Jesus himself identifies himself as the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7. Jesus remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him. He's on trial, right? Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So who is the Son of Man? That's real easy, right? Jesus tells us. It's Jesus Christ, right? Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saying, I am the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7. And what do you see here? Look at verse 14. And to him was given dominion. The Ancient of Days is given to the Son of Man dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His dominion is what kind of dominion? An everlasting dominion. It means it doesn't. All these other ones, they're coming to an end. Not God's kingdom. It'll last forever. Which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Turn with me to Psalm chapter, Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Real quickly, we're going to see this exchange between the Father and the Son. We're going to see this in Psalm 2 as well. Parallel. Same thing going on. We're going to read through this real quickly, and then we're going to close. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth. Okay, think about the beast, right? Yeah, the beast we just saw. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's what the pagan nations do. That's what they do. They oppose God. They're living like this, right? Against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Who's my king? That's the Son of Man. I will tell a decree. The Lord said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. And the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son. I love this. Kiss the son lest he be angry. And you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. We see that same exchange taking place there in Psalm 2. We see it here in Daniel 7. The son is given dominion. Put in charge of the nations who will serve him. 
in a kingdom that will not pass away. Real excited about Wednesday night, Revelation 4 and 5. You're going to, those of you that are in that study, Jamie's going to help you with that. You're going to use those hermeneutical principles, observation, interpretation, application, and walk through that. In Revelation 4 or 5, you're going to see this exact thing taking place in Dan- that took place today in Daniel 7. It's interesting, Jamie, how the Lord providentially put this timing of this all together. And I was going to look at it, kind of steal all your thunder. I was going to look at it, we were out of time. I have too much, too much here to go through today. But I really hope you'll read through that and come back. You'll have a really sweet time on Wednesday night. I hate I want to miss that. How do we apply this text, Daniel chapter 7? What's the application for us? I think, firstly, the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man, they are eternal. And all who are part of the kingdom, who are associated with the Ancient of Days, with the Son of Man, will live forever. So, firstly, I think about Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Paul writes to the Roman believers, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So application one is all those associated with the Son of Man, with the Ancient of Days, there's no condemnation for you. When I say association, you always, always think about in Christ. In the New Testament, you see those who are in Christ, those who are in Christ, are you associated with the Son? That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean you, you know about Jesus or you think a lot about Jesus or even that you believe that Jesus lived, like the Bible says he lived, died and rose again. To be associated... With the Son means that you're in Christ. It's not some intellectual knowledge. It's a what we saw last week. What did we see last week with the resurrection text? When the women at the well, they see Jesus, what do they do? They fell down at his feet, embraced his feet, and worshipped him. So if you're in Christ, that means you've, you've done that. You've bowed the knee, recognizing you're a sinful, self-absorbed person. You've lived your life in opposition to the Lord. Jesus lived his life for you perfectly. He lived the life that you must live. He died a, a terrible death, receiving the wrath of the Father, the wrath that you should receive. He was buried and he rose so that you could be made right with God. Amen. So when I say you're associated with, with Christ, it means you're in Christ. Have you bowed the knee like the women we saw last week, or the, the, the disciples, when they went to Galilee and they saw the resurrected Christ, what did they do? They worshiped him. Let me ask you, have you, are you a worshiper of Christ? Are you in Christ? Have you acknowledged your sin? Have you turned from it in repentance and placed your faith in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ? If not, the thing you need to do today, firstly, is you need to repent and you need to trust Christ's work on the cross as your own. You need to embrace the Son. Lest He be angry. Psalm 2. You need to embrace the Son. You need to yield to Him. Commit your life to Him. Repent for not being like Him. So by way of application, if you're not a believer, if you've yet to repent and trust Christ, you need to repent and trust Him today. I'd love to talk to you about that. Secondly, by way of application, know that God doesn't leave us in the dark about his plans. He lets us know, though the the time of the pagan kingdoms, right, will continue, they'll grow increasingly brutal, where 
the little horn types, right? They're going to mash and mangle God's people. But we can have hope because that'll last only a short time. And the reign of His Son is sure and certain. And we get to be a part of His kingdom forever and forever and forever and forever. How do persecuted peoples, how do they persevere in their faith? How do they keep going? How do they endure it all till the end? Because they know that they're going to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Going through hell right now, but heaven's coming, right? Think about the, um, thinking about audio Bibles. Some of you listen to audio Bibles, right? Uh, you don't like to read. You don't comprehend very well, but you, you're an auditory learner, so you listen. Some folks just listen while they're at work. Some of you do that. You listen a lot. Jim listens to audio Bible. He was here putting windows in months, a couple months ago, and he's got audio Bible going on, right? Well, when I listen to the audio Bible, I do that as well. I like listening to the dramatized version. Do y'all do that? Some people say, that's just distracting, all the background music and noise and da-da-da. It's just kind of distracting. Well, if you listen to the, um, the audio Bible and it's dramatized, I think when I think of this text, you've got this, this picture of these, these beasts, and it's just terrible. But in the middle of this text, you've got the Ancient of Days, and you've got the Son of Man. It's like the calm in the midst of the storm. And I was thinking about that, that audio Bible. You remember the story of Jesus? He's, he's in the boat. If you listen to the dramatized Bible, it's Mark chapter 4. He's in the boat, and he's asleep. And there's a big squall come up, big storm. And the disciples are so afraid. If you listen to the audio Bible, and it's describing, it's, it's, it's you know, reading the text, but in the background you got the waves and everything. And so the, the reader has to elevate his voice, and he has to get kind of loud. So you, can under, so you can understand what he's saying on top of all the background of the waves and the wind and all of the, the disciples moaning and crying and all that. But then when Jesus, you remember what Jesus said? They wake him up and they're like, don't you care? We're going to die and you're sleeping. And Jesus says, oh, you're a little faith. And what does he say to the storm? Remember, peace be still. He says, peace be still. And it's like, and we listen to that audio Bible, and then all of a sudden, his voice, volume of his voice lowers, and he just begins to go back to his normal volume. But it's like that calm, right? So we read this text, you see, man, it's terrible. It's terrible. And we're living, I think in some sense, the last kingdom, right? The last beast there that the, the represents the Roman Empire. That's still ongoing. He said, well, I thought the empire ceased. Well, it did, but the effects of it, right? The kingdoms of the world, the powers that be, they mimic that, right? That secular uh, understanding, anti-God, anti-church, pro-sin, right? Pro-evil. That, that last kingdom and the prophecies associated with it, they they've, hadn't been fulfilled in every way, right? We were still a part of all that. Because you see the, the world. I mean, you look at the video and the stuff's going on in Ukraine and all over the world. Christians are suffering. People are suffering. All the things going on in our world with promoting people 
thinking that killing your baby is a wonderful thing, a virtuous thing. What kind of world are we living in? It's a world that's led by these wicked kingdoms, right? Secular ideologies. But yet there's a calm in the storm because we know the Ancient of Days and we know the Son of Man. And that doesn't always make our issues go away. It doesn't always make our marriages better, our finances better. It doesn't make our cancer go away. It doesn't make our fibromyalgia go away. But what does it do? It gives us hope. This is only for a little while. God wins, and all God's people win in the end. We're going to be with him forever and forever and forever and forever. Stand with me. We're going to pray. Come on up, worship team. We're going to sing Ancient of Days. I'm going to pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word and for Daniel 7. Of Some of this is apocalyptic literature, and some of these things aren't near as clear as, as other texts, but we're thankful we have them. We're thankful for the, the main point and being able to embrace that, understand it very clearly. Pagan kingdoms, they come and go, but your kingdom's going to last forever. And although we live under the influence of paganism, yet we can have hope because of the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. We are so thankful for Jesus who did come and he lived for us perfectly and kept every law for us that we must keep. And he died a terrible death that we should die. He was buried and he was resurrected on that third day so sinners could be reconciled to a holy, wonderful, ancient of days. And Father, I pray if there's anybody here who's yet to bow the knee to Jesus, they're not in Christ. I pray that you would open their eyes and ears. They would see that clearly today, and they would desire to know you. They would desire to be forgiven. They would desire to live for you. They would desire to be a part of your kingdom. I pray that you would do a work in them today. Grant them faith and repentance, Father. And for us as a church, Father, may we be encouraged. Father, even though we live in dark times and we suffer and we struggle and our the pagan influences, the ungodly influences are great. Father, help us this week to be hopeful. Empower us to live godly lives in this lost world because we have a relationship with you, the ancient of days. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for the testimonies represented in this room. So many people have cried out to you in faith and they've worshipped. Now they worship King Jesus because of the, the, the work you've done in their lives by opening eyes and opening ears. Father, empower your church this week to live for your glory. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.